0: Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. This is episode 767. This is my interview with Dr. Suvrat Bhagave. a moment of insight. Guys, I really hope you enjoy this show today. Cheers. G'day, g'day. Welcome to the Hidden Why Podcast. Hope you're well. My name's Lee Nootsi. Thanks for tuning in, guys. I hope you're having a kick-ass day wherever in the world you are right now. Guys, this is my interview segment, and today I'm bringing you an inspirational interview with Dr. Suvrat Bhargave. And each week, guys, I get to speak with these experts, these people that have a great level of experience, and they inspire us, educate us, and really assist us, I hope, to live life with greater levels of freedom, fulfillment, and happiness. Now, Dr. Bhargave has recently written a book. It's titled A Moment of Insight, Universal Lesson. It's learned from a psychiatrist's couch. He has worked with patients for many years and now he's put it into a book that we can read and learn from. Some of the things that um, has helped so many people that he's worked with over the years as well. It's a really, really cool conversation guys. There's so many highlights in here. It was actually our second attempt because the first attempt I made an error and didn't actually record our conversation. So we are back at it again, both committed to sharing Uh, really inspirational conversation and i think that's what it's all about there's so many insights in here guys the challenge for us all i think is to really try and discover our five gifts um, which we talk about in this episode and you can interact with both of us at our facebook pages mind the hidden why and dr bargabe you can find him on facebook at a moment of insight so guys the links will be in the show notes episode 767 hope you enjoy the show talk at the other end cheers Uh, G'day, Dr. Bargave. How are you? I am doing so well, Lee. How are you doing today? I'm really good. This is our uh, second take, so I just wanted to bring that to everyone's attention. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> we had this conversation a few weeks back, and uh, my error, it for some reason wasn't recording, um, even after an attempt to try and see if it was recording. Um, so we had a beautiful conversation. It didn't come through, which is a bit upsetting, <laughs> But we are both now committed to doing that again, at least having another conversation. And I'm sure it'll be a good one as the last one was as well. So welcome back to the, uh, Thank to the show. Thank you so
1: much. Thank
0: you so much. I feel like this is fate just telling us that we're meant to have many discussions, you that's and I. That's cool, isn't it? Well, that's that's the beauty of, of my job and I guess the beauty of your job too, uh, yes. maybe in a different context. But uh, certainly, uh, yeah, something that really uplifts me is is amazing conversation. And it's something that I... I think we maybe all take for granted. Um, Certainly before I started the podcast, there wasn't that many stimulating conversations in my lives. And a couple of things that changed for me was number one, reading. Uh, Number two, Mm -hmm. listening to other people speak, so podcasts or seminars or talks. Uh, And number three, doing these sort of interviews as well. And certainly that has given me more opportunities to not only um, have good conversations across the world like we are now, but also in the circles that I hang around. Um, What's what's your thoughts? I mean, you you are a psychiatrist. You you speak with people every day. Um, Mm -hmm. What are your styles of conversations and and thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I I tell you, I think that there is value and purpose in all different kinds of conversation. I mean, I think even... Banter even just being able to sit with someone that you barely know and just kind of shoot the breeze I think has value as well But but the kinds of discussions that I most enjoy the kind of things that really Get me thinking just like I I know you enjoy this as well are the deeper discussions It's it's the things that you don't necessarily talk about with everyone Mm. uh, and And I don't know that that's that's exactly right, but I but I do think that we reserve certain kinds of discussions and as a psychiatrist when I see people they are oftentimes at the lowest points in their lives and in those moments you set all the superficial stuff aside and you get to the heart of it right what really matters um so i know i've heard you say on your podcast before and i've said this myself that i don't have all the answers um but i sure do ask a lot of questions Mm. and and i believe when you ask a lot of questions inevitably you do find some answers and what's been so good about being a psychiatrist is that in having these conversations um patients and i we we ask a lot of the same questions over and over again it turns out we're all struggling with the same kinds of doubts and insecurities so we i feel like i have the advantage of having rich vulnerable raw discussions about the things that matter most
0: yeah it's really cool and i yeah. think i think it's just that opportunity to converse you know with people i think that's that's what we mm-hmm. need in this world and um Yeah. Again, in any, in any platform, I think that's really important. And no matter the conversation, I think that, that connection with other humans Mm -hmm. is really, is really fundamental for our overall well Um, so tell us, I mean, tell us a little bit about your work. Uh, first of all, you've written a a book, which is called a moment of insight. Um, I'll stick the, the link in the show notes guys, for those of you listening and wishing to pick up a copy. Um, but yeah, tell us a bit about your work and, and why you wrote this book. Absolutely. So First about my work. So as a psychiatrist, sometimes
1: people wonder what it is exactly that we do. And I know that a lot of times patients come in to see me on that first appointment, kind of nervous about what it is that we're going to do. And the fact of the matter is, all we're going to do is talk. Um, so I am a physician who is trained to help people feel better emotionally. Mm-hmm. And as a psychiatrist, when I see people, like I said, sometimes they are feeling empty or confused or angry or sad or stuck or overwhelmed. Um, and we just start with kind of what they're, what they're feeling in that moment. And then we try to work out maybe where that came from and what needs to be done to get them to be unstuck, to move forward. Mm. So, so this book, a moment of insight, um, comes from 20 years of being able to have, again, these valuable conversations and realizing that for change to happen, for any kind of change to happen in any of our lives, um, that you have to have a moment. You have to have, again, what I call a moment of insight, which is where you realize, that a certain way of thinking or feeling or behaving isn't working for you anymore. Hmm. And once you realize that that isn't working for you, then look, change can happen from that point on. So I had the privilege of sitting down with people once they've reached a point of needing to address, needing to change uh, and then trying to figure out what's the best way for them to do so.
0: Right. How do you, and this goes back to something you recently said there, People coming in there nervous, anxious, um, you know, mm-hmm. not knowing what to uh, expect, I suppose, and probably very mm-hmm. uncomfortable because they're already going through some sort of change or turmoil in their life. How do you allow people to relax and, and really open up? Because like you said, mm-hmm. a lot of the things in our conversations, we, we aren't very vulnerable. We hide things. Mm-hmm. We, we don't want that shame.
1: Mm, okay, you just said a very key word, but I'll answer your question, then I'll come back to your key word. Um, I believe it is, you know, when you're having a conversation, especially if you're having a conversation that you can get the feeling or, you know, is going to be one that's going to delve a little bit deeper into how people are feeling. I think it falls on both people in the discussion to create an environment where it's safe to do so. Mm. So I implicitly tell people when they come in for that first appointment that I want them to know that within these four walls, um, they can say and feel anything and they will not be judged. And one of the reasons that I can say that is because to me, judgment comes when you think that there's a right or wrong way of being or when you can't relate to someone. And what I do tell them right in the very beginning is that while your story and my story might be completely different, the fact is there's nothing that you have felt that I haven't felt and vice versa. So knowing that we have to put judgment aside, and the more that you can help me understand what you're thinking and feeling, uh, the more we can try to make some change happen for you. So I think it starts with that. I think it starts with the the, the body language that we each have. I think it starts with the tone of our voice. It starts with the environment that we have. Um, all of that goes into it, but it really actually starts with just a suggestion or an or a, um, offering that I'm going to listen, and I'm going to do it in a way that I'm going to not judge you.
0: To me that's so crucial. You're sort of protecting them mm-hmm. from yeah. from the fear of judgment. The fear of definitely shame. Definitely. Which, which obviously is is why we do hold back because we don't want to be judged. I'm just trying to think of how we could apply this to everyday life because so often, you know, there's things that we want to do but we don't because we don't want to be judged. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want mm-hmm. to we want to protect ourselves. Now by saying to someone, look, you know, you're in a private location Um, feel comfortable anything you say will stay in here Um, I've been through the same things and I think that's one of the universal lessons that you've learned is that we all have the same doubts and insecurities and uncertainties in life Um, so creating that that environment for them to feel comfortable so they can open up is great but is there a way we can apply these same principles to everyday life so I can go out there today and be more vulnerably myself
1: I think so. I mean, I think one of the ways in which we can help others be vulnerable is quite honestly to take a chance and to be vulnerable ourselves. And and look, we're we're not going to necessarily do that with just everyone we run across in the course of our day. But, Hmm. you know, being vulnerable is something that especially if you've been burnt, uh, it's almost like putting your hand back close to a stove again right and 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 so you have to kind of edge yourself towards that you have to try it out you have to see what it's like you have to do it in a way that has less of a risk and so a little bit at a time if we can put ourselves out there and find out that in vast majority of cases if i come at you being vulnerable uh, the vast majority of people are not going to strike back they're also going to accept me on some level uh and i do believe that i believe that about human nature for the most part that's a really good point so, hmm yeah, so so I do think that it it starts with being vulnerable ourselves. It also starts with um, sometimes saying exactly, or at least letting them know in some indirect way that they're not alone. Hmm. Uh, I think you know the the word that I said that you that you said that really means so much to me. That we start with right in session one in most of my appointments is shame. Yeah, shame. If you if you don't tackle shame, uh, you can't make change happen. There's a a phrase that I use all the time and I say, you know, transformation begins with transparency. So you've got to start with, first of all, going straight to the point of understanding your shame. And, you know, we have shame for all kinds of things. We have shame for, for what we've done. We have shame for what was done to us. We have shame for what we have felt, what we've thought. Uh, some people have shame for who they are and, and where they've been and where they're from. But, but the bottom line is coming into an appointment or, or sitting down with someone when you feel... Um, at a low point, you're, you're carrying around shame. And, and, and that to me is, is the first step of any kind of change happening. I, I have to be able to say uh, on whatever level I can say to you or, or to someone that I feel safe with, that there is a part of me that doesn't feel good enough. Mm. And that's huge.
0: I wonder how we... Um, I'm just trying to be introspective at the moment and how, how we how we discover that shame that we're dealing with without mm-hmm. without mm-hmm. having someone to bounce things off, you know, because I'm trying to think about things that maybe I feel shameful about and I, they're not coming straight to the top of my mind, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, and I mm-hmm. guess maybe people in a, a more depressed state or something like that, maybe are more aware of the shame that they feel um to myself right now. I'm not sure... Well-
1: Well, another way that I would suggest people think about if they are burdened by shame, and look, if you're not burdened by shame, that's that's a really great place to be in life, or at least in the moment, uh, to not be burdened by shame is a wonderful thing. Sometimes people mix the word shame and guilt Hmm. together, and Hmm. and that's a big big concept that we talk about in the book as well. But but they are actually two entirely different things. Guilt is regret. Well, Well, guilt is regret for what I've done. Uh, so it's about, you know, my behavior, my actions, and so forth. And shame is remorse for who I am. And, and I can tell you that people all the time mix the two things together. If there's something that I've done that I don't like, then I immediately associate it with me not being good enough or me being bad. I mean, on some level, kids are, are unfortunately, we, we've we conditioned kids to think of it that way, right? You bring home a great report card. Uh, we We tend to say, look at you, look how smart you are. Um, and we equate what they've done with who they are. Mm. And those are two very different concepts who you are and what you do. But, but people come in feeling some degree of either guilt or shame and either one will hold you back, Mm. but guilt will certainly feed shame. And those are two different things.
0: How does guilt feed shame?
1: Mm. So again, if unless you've come to a place of understanding that what you do does not translate to who you are,
0: um,
1: then then the two t- seemingly go hand in hand um so so i you know i can speak to that's a um, thing yeah I can. yeah i can speak to a point in my life i mean i i described this in the book early on but um again if if i'm going to ask you to be vulnerable as a reader or as a patient or as my friend then i need to be vulnerable too so the book really intertwines my story within five or six patient stories which of course are are compilation stories that mm. i've Created to represent patients, but I talk about a time in my life where I was at my lowest uh, at 20 years old, being in college, and really having an immense and a big moment of insight where I realized that I was trying so hard to be what everyone wanted me to be or who I thought people needed me to be, that in the course of all of that, I completely had lost myself. And part of the reason why I felt like I needed to be perfect you know perfectionism is is really a shield for not feeling good enough yeah if you're striving to be perfect you really are on some level feeling like you're not good enough and it's it's the exact extreme weapon that you use against shame is to say i'm i'm totally okay and i can be even better um but i realized at that point in my life in my 20s that uh that i had no idea who i was so for me my worst point in my life meant I had to tackle my shame. I had to realize that what was done to me, what I have done, all the things that that had fed my shame, I need to find a way to feel more constant about myself rather than feeling up and down with what I do, if mm. that makes sense. Because, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about having a good day or a bad day uh, and we feel good about ourselves or bad about ourselves, but if we can let life be a roller coaster and have that not affect how we feel about ourselves. If our sense of self can be more constant, we can deal with life. Right. And so what I had to do and what patients have to do day after day when I see them is we have to find some way of thinking of ourselves that is more innately and constantly worthy and good enough.
0: Yeah, okay. So not getting uh, confused between what you've done or what you do and tying that mm-hmm. into your level of self-worth or who you are. Exactly. Exactly right. Which you can and, often and, and see. I moment... mean, in those people, they they think that because of their past, because of um, how they behave, is a direct mm-hmm. reflection of their self worth.
1: Yeah, and by the time someone gets into talking to me, or, or even at a point in their life where they're at a at a low point, they've they've been uh, telling themselves the story of who they think they are over and over and over again. Hmm. Right, So if I, I, as a child, ever felt like maybe I wasn't good enough or I needed to be better or I needed to be perfect or people would be happier if I acted a certain way, Um, if on top of that, let's say I'm bullied in school, Uh, if I'm bullied in school, now I feel like, see clearly I'm not good enough and see clearly people do see that I'm not good enough, and then maybe something else happens. Maybe my parents get a divorce, and if my parents get a divorce, no matter how much the adults might have told you it's not your fault, a child who's already looking for proof that he's not good enough takes that incident and he he translates it to fit his story. So that by the time you get to a low point in your life, you've been telling the story to yourself over and over again. Mm. And it's a story that that you think you've proven. You think you've proven it. The problem is um, we're not really good scientists, most of us. You know, a good scientist comes up with a hypothesis and then goes collecting data, but you don't collect skewed data. Whereas we, most of us, collected skew data. If, if my hypothesis is I'm not good enough, each of those incidents seemingly proves to me that I'm not good enough. However, I might have overlooked 10 other op, um, opportunities to find out that that actually wasn't true.
0: Yeah, so, well, so again, I would even shame. argue that some scientists uh, definitely do skew. Um, yeah, looking, well, you
1: know? <laughs> that's true. That's true. I mean, a, a true scientist who's really looking to just find out if the hypothesis is true, just goes to collect data and then you get a, a result and then you say, okay, well, this is what happens when this happened. But but most of us, because we're emotional beings, we don't just go through life uh, collecting data. We do interpret it, but we interpret it with an emotional lens. Hmm. We We end up proving a story that perhaps was never true but we do it so many times that we convince ourselves that it must be true. Hmm. Um, and and, and that's, a, that's a big part of what I do with, with patients in the sessions, and it's a big part of the book. And, and again, I talk about my own experiences and having felt so that day at, at, at the age of 20 was not a bad day. It was a culmination of feeling not good enough and then suddenly having it, it reach a point where I couldn't deny that it had to be different. That I had to do something about it again, having a moment of insight so so I, I think a lot of us can relate to the fact that we've we've convinced ourselves of who we think we are, and it turns out it's not even who we are
0: yeah, yeah, that story we tell ourselves has has a big part in in who who we yeah, i guess how we're living our how well we're living our life now and, and and into the future as well. how do we um go about uh becoming more aware of this story and then trying to understand you know being that scientist understanding that hey this is not necessarily who we are like how do we break Mm -hmm. free from that because we are so stuck in in our story it's you know as as you said like we look for proof to to back ourselves up
1: absolutely And, and again when you tell a certain story to yourself over and over again it almost just becomes like a habit right so so breaking a habit means you have to first be made aware that you're doing something that you're you You don't like in your life and then trying to substitute something else for it so telling ourselves a story that we are for example not good enough as a habit you have to have some moment where you realize i'm doing it if if uh, to give you another analogy if if you and i were again we're friends and and i ask you haley when i if i start biting my nails when we talk will you just kind of nudge me a little bit and let me know that i'm doing it and if you agree to do so and you point it out to me in the course of our conversation I have, a, I have a, a choice to make in that moment. Um, a, I could be upset with you for, you know, pointing out a fault of mine. Or I can accept the fact that something that I'm doing isn't really working for me. And then the choice I have to make is I either sit on my hands, right, so that I don't bite my nails, or I just keep doing it. Hmm. So to me, challenging your life story is very much the same kind of thing. You have to first have a Be moment. aware of it. Hmm. There you go. I uh, have to have a moment where it's not working. And and that moment I described, that day I described in the book, was such a big moment in my life where I realized that nothing that I thought I had figured out was was even the case. And then at th- from that point on, going backwards and trying to catch myself every time I start going into that same old pattern of, of talking to myself. And, and so my belief is we have to actually go backwards, deconstruct that story, challenge that story a little bit while we start building up a second story
0: of yeah, our lives. Yeah. So c- becoming aware of it, having that moment mm-hmm. of insight and then looking for evidence that may suggest that that's not necessary. well, that's not true. Exactly right. And that's really exactly consciously right. looking for that evidence rather than just accepting what you just want to tell yourself and, and automatically looking for the proof. Yeah, that's exactly right. If you were here, I would high five you. That excites me so much. Yes, it's all about
1: really um, being active in your pursuit of finding out who you are. Not waiting, not assuming, not going with the old story, but actively finding out. That ought to be enticing. Hmm. You know, the, the idea, the, the question that comes up more than any other, uh, as I sit with people all day long, ultimately is, who am I? Yeah, That really is. That's the question that, that we get to at the end of it. and And to find out who am I should be... Exciting. I mean granted it's 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 an overwhelming idea. How are you going to define who you are? Um, and, and I in the book describe how I would suggest you, you start doing so but at first It's a really overwhelming thought, but if you think about it it ought to really be exciting to find out who you are Especially if you realize that the story you've told of who you are is actually not true hmm. and it never was and it never was even when you thought you had proof to show it to yourself. It was never true
0: and what I like about that is that you can then go out once you start to realize this, and create the story that you want to be telling yourself.
1: Absolutely, and and create the story not just out of blind faith. Come up with a second hypothesis, and then go out there and prove it to yourself. Mm-hmm. Find it out. So, so for me, for example, I'll give you something concrete that I did at that low point in my life. At, at that low point in my life, I, I realized that I had gone my whole life and proven to myself that I wasn't good enough and that people wanted me to be better. So the second story that I decided to, to start for myself was not that I am good enough because I, I convinced myself so much that I was not good enough that I didn't even think that was a possibility, which is pretty ironic. Um, I, I decided my second story was simply going to start off with maybe there is something good inside of me. Just maybe mm-hmm. we'll find out. We'll find out. Maybe there's something good inside of me. And the task that I gave myself at the age of 20, and I don't know where this came from, so I'm just going to call it divine. But the task that came to me sitting there on that bench on my college campus feeling empty was that I was going to give myself a task over over 10 days to come up with my five gifts. And my five gifts, what I understood myself to be saying to myself, right. was that I needed to come up with the, the traits and, and characteristics that were innate to me. That means it doesn't matter who's around, what's going on, who's in my life, good day, bad day. These are five traits of me that I just can't deny. And so I gave myself a 10-day deadline to come up with the five gifts. And honestly, Lee, I thought I was being quite generous with a 10-day deadline. Um, and yet it was the Hardest thing I have ever done. If you've never done it, I challenge you to do a, your five gifts. Um, but you have you have you have to give yourself a deadline. So I gave myself a 10-day deadline. And on the 10th day, when I wrote down my fifth gift, I looked at this list. I literally wrote it down. I looked at this list. And I thought to myself, if this is an innate part of who I am, if these are my gifts, I don't want to waste these gifts. Hmm. And so what I did from that point on to start the second story was Maybe there's something good inside of me. If these are my five gifts, I tell you what, at least once a day, I'm going to use one of these gifts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I think you mentioned last time one was empathy, was it? Empathy. Yeah. Empathy was the
1: first gift that I wrote down and it's the one that came to me the quickest. And, and so the example that we were talking about last time was that, let's say I'm feeling really low uh, on a particular day, then I would say, okay, I tell you what, pick one of the gifts, pick empathy. Let's go use empathy. And so in the course of day-to-day life, let's say I go to the grocery store The cashier is ringing me up and says, you know, how's your day been? I hope you found everything. Okay Well now look, remember i'm looking to use empathy. So at that point I would say to the person Um, yeah, something like yeah, my day's been good. You look really busy And the other person might say well, yeah, it's been a crazy hectic day around here And then I might say well, I hope you get off of work soon And then she might say Yeah, another hour to go and then I might say, hey, listen, the good thing about being busy is it does go by quickly. Hmm. And then we might kind of smile or whatever. And then I'd walk away and I would at least mentally pat myself on the back and say, okay, you know what? You, you do have empathy. You do. You can't even deny it. Even on a bad day, you do have empathy. Being conscious And, and what That's right. And what I didn't realize was I was changing my filter. I was now going through my day looking for data to start the second story and to feed the second story, whereas before I'd gone through the day only looking to prove the first story.
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. I mean, you really got to think about this, but, you know, you go through every day and if you're telling yourself that story, you're not really focusing on your good attributes or characteristics, Mm -hmm. are Mm -hmm. you? And by -hmm. by writing that list of gifts and then consciously going about it and trying to use one or more a day. And then you know, after you do it, being conscious, hey, look, I just proved to myself that I have empathy. That's that's really cool. That's exactly um, it.
1: And and, and and it's one of those things where you know, I think a lot of times we we look to um, be successful, right? A lot of times people will ask me about success and how how what it you know it, how do I define success? To me, if success is really about living every day purposefully, and living every day purposefully is. By the time my head hits the pillow tonight, I need to at least be sure I used one of my gifts. Yeah. And if I did, I lived purposely that day. Yeah, And that's a great feeling. That's The day itself might have been busy, hectic, filled with traffic. And yet, if I know I lived purposely, there is some degree of contentment and satisfaction with that.
0: What is the difference between these gifts that you talk about and perhaps our values, like our core values? Is there a difference there, a separation?
1: It, they can overlap, for yeah. sure. Uh, to me, again, a gift is something that is an innate quality of you that it, that you just can't deny, whereas a value might be something that you cultivate over time. Uh, I believe, for example, if, if the one gift that I share is, is empathy that I say out loud, if that's my gift, I believe I've had empathy from the moment I was brought onto this earth, and I'll have it till the day I leave, I'll have it on a deserted island, and I'll have it Uh, surrounded by the people I love. It's a trait of mine that doesn't need any developing. I do. That's the great thing about the gifts. I mean, again, when you talk about your innate sense of worth, it should be that I convince myself about these gifts so much that there's nothing that I need to do when I wake up tomorrow morning to be more worthy. Hmm. That's a great feeling. Or even the flip side of that, there's nothing I'm going to do today that's going to make me less worthy. So shame and guilt, the way that they become intertwined, is because of the mistakes I make today, I feel like I'm not good enough.
0: Yeah.
1: But if yeah. I know that I'm innately worthy and I've proven it to myself and I'm innately valued, then I can deal with making mistakes. Mm. I, I, I'm sure I've
0: made three today already. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, but I still know who I am and that didn't change. Mm. Yeah, it's really cool. I actually, um, just on this topic, had my daughter doing some homework this morning, writing about empathy. Um, Mm. She's in grade two. And Mm -hmm. one of her examples was if I see someone um, standing there by herself, not playing with anyone, I could go up and say, hey, look, it looks like, Mm. um, you know, do you want to play together? Gosh, I love
1: that. I love that. And here's the thing that we have as parents. Here's the opportunity, I would say, that we have as parents. Rather than simply pointing out what a child does, what if it? What if we simply, at times where we saw it, pointed out their gift? So now the kid yeah. brings home a report card, and instead of saying, uh, I'm so proud of you, you got all A's, we end up saying, wow, there you go again, being curious. Hmm. Or, wow, see, there you go again, working so hard. Whatever the trait is, if we say it to them over and over again in different examples, it's no longer about the action or the task. It's about the fact that they just are curious, or hardworking, or creative, or, you know, or empathetic, whichever whichever of their gifts you're noticing. Uh, So we can give them a sense of themselves simply by making the observation.
0: Mm. Yeah. Actually, there was another example yesterday where she, someone brought around this food that they made themselves, and she had a bite of it, and she ate it, and she smiled and said, oh, that's Mm. really delicious. And then later she told uh, her mother um, that it was really not quite nice at all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> um, and, you know, that's the very nice of her to um, protect the other person's feeling. But that's really um, showing empathy. Um, exactly. You know, in exactly, yeah. behaviour and, and not recognising it as, oh, good cover-up, thanks for doing that. You know, we're not...
1: so within so within 24 hours you know she gives you two examples and if you just use the word both times you know you you notice something that's being said over and over again more than you probably notice it in passing so if that word empathy keeps coming up the child almost can't deny that she's got empathy
0: yeah oh she definitely does and on and on a right and on a bad day she she knows that how do we um and actually this is the interesting thing about the story we tell ourselves because once we start you know recognizing these gifts being more conscious about um, who we are and and we can then shape um, that even further by changing our behaviors and what we do mm-hmm. in each moment is that correct because what you're saying is that often it's what we do in our behaviors that shape our level of significance and self worth now if we aren't feeling very self-worth then we can change that by then changing our actions and behaviors as well definitely i mean again this is about purposefully
1: finding out who you are this is about an active process of finding out who you are that means having to do some work and 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 acting on it so to know that i have empathy is fantastic but if i don't use my gift if i waste it then I haven't brought about a purposeful way of living. So mm. it's an, it's that's an active pursuit. Yeah, exactly right. It's a, it's a practice. And I think that's why, you know, the charge of waking up every day and saying, okay, at least one gift, at least one time today, we're going to do this is a, it's doable. B, it's a wonderful way of, of looking at, at opportunity in the course of your day, but it is also also about actively going out and putting yourself out there because again these gifts are you, so you are about to put yourself out there by making sure that you use your gifts, and that's mm. an active process.
0: Why five gifts? Is is there? I mean, we do more, mm. or is it just easier to manage? Yeah. So one of the things that I say in the book is on that day, on that
1: really tough day for me, um, I was going to give myself an assignment, and and even as I was about to embark on trying to change my habit. My habit was to be so critical. I was my own worst critic. And so as I started to come up with a number, how many gifts am I going to come up with in 10 days? My thought was, well, if you make it too hard, you're not going to be able to do it. And my (laughs) other thought was, well, if you make it too easy, of course anyone can come up with two gifts. So for whatever reason, five just sounded like a number that... Yeah, it's on, and, and 10 days was the same way. Hmm. At first, I was like, okay, you got five days, five gifts. And then I thought, eh, you know what, just in case, maybe give yourself a little bit more time. And then I and the critical voice stepped back in and said, what, you're going to give yourself a month to come up with five gifts? So five gifts in 10 days, so what I say in the book is, um, I'm less concerned about how many gifts you want to give yourself. If you If five sounds like too much, start with two. And if 10 sounds like too many days, start with a week but it is important to set yourself up to succeed at this task.
0: So how do we, so let's just say, I've I've never done this before. Um, I wanna get Mm -hmm. these five gifts out of myself. I'm gonna give myself 10 days. What's the next steps for me there? How do I try and analyze what my gifts are?
1: Okay, so what I see sometimes people doing is, um, as part of their list of gifts, sometimes they write down what is not actually a gift, but is a role that they play. So I had someone, for example, say to me uh, last week that one of the things that he really appreciates about himself is a is a habit that his father had helped him to develop, and that was that every night before he'd fall asleep, his dad would come up and read him a story, and they would read, like, thick story. I think the example he gave was Harry Potter, which you know, those are not small books. Those are big books. Yeah. Uh, but, but they would read a little bit every single night, and so one of the things that he listed as gifts was that he is a voracious reader. Okay, a role can't be a gift because the bottom line is um, you might tomorrow not be able to read for whatever reason, and so it's no longer innate to who you are. But what I said to him was, if there's a role that you play that you feel so in the zone, like when you're in a good book, you are so into that book, that means you're using at least one of your gifts. So as an example for him, for being a reader, uh, and especially the way he talked about which books he read, what we realized was he's rather imaginative because he could really picture those stories. Yeah. He was, he was very communicative Mm -hmm. because he had quite a vocabulary as a result of reading a lot. Um, and he was very patient (laughs) because those are big, thick books. Now those potentially could be his gifts. Yeah. It could be that if he can now think of other ways and other places where sure enough, he was creative and he was communicative and he was patient. Okay, that might be one of your gifts. So I always tell people if you're ever, ever feeling your zone, whatever that is, while you're doing your podcast, while you're being a parent, while you're at work, while you're gardening, find out what gift you're using because that's a clue. Hmm. That's and, and the other the other really important parameter for the five gifts is do not go around asking other people, what do you think are my five gifts? The whole point of this is you are about to discover who you are, not who you think other people think you are. Yeah. So don't ask anyone. Write down your gifts. And, and what I did once I wrote down these five gifts, I literally carried that list around with me in my pocket until I no longer had to look at it. Hmm. And I still have that list somewhere. Uh, I've kept it because I want to remember that there was a time in my life where I couldn't remember or know who I am. Um, so, so I tell people again, write it down, start a list, start with two, start with three, add on to it. People will ask me, well, could I erase one or can I delete one? Look, I I don't want to put any pressure on you. So if you need to delete it, delete it. But the fact is, if you wrote it on the list, there's a reason it's on the list. Um, so so don't let the anxiety of the task itself get in the way. Again, be excited. You're going to find out who you are no matter what.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I guess these things, I mean, uh, could be very easily influenced um, externally. Um, you know, we could mm-hmm. write them down because someone once said this about us. So we could write mm-hmm. down, okay, well, I'm um, communicative or um, I'm empathetic or whatever it might be. So we write that down. Um, but then later on, we realize that actually that's not really who I am. It's not resonating with me. That's, that's possible. Yeah.
1: Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And again, you can't go wrong with this task. The bottom line is you're going to find out something that's, that you can't deny. So at the end of the process, when you look at this list, there's just no denying that this is who you are.
0: Hmm. Someone, um, I was listening to another podcast yesterday and, um, that was sort of mentioning a similar activity, I suppose. Um, looking up to to those people that you most admire your heroes in life and looking mm. really at their characters um, the characteristics what what about them really appeals to you most and usually those things that appeal to you are, are similarities that you have that potentially your gifts as well
1: right I think I think oftentimes what resonates in in our respect for others is something that we also have within ourselves and then I think this goes back to your question Lee about Um, values versus gifts. I I, I absolutely believe that we can cultivate traits and and values as well. And so if there's a quality about someone else that you admire and you recognize that that's not innate to you, you're not doomed uh, to not have that trait. Uh, It just means you have to cultivate it. Hmm. It means you have to practice it, cultivate it. So values and and gifts can go together and they can really complement one another so that you're a fuller person by realizing what is innate to you and by striving to bring in qualities and traits and habits that you think make you even better um, Mm. in terms of expressing those gifts. Um, So I think that's where values and gifts are a little bit different.
0: Okay. Yeah. Look, it's a really good challenge. I'm going to challenge myself to write down my five gifts. Good. Um, good. I want to challenge the audience to write down the five gifts (laughs) Um, and look, let's get, um, interactive on this maybe we can uh, do you share them with others or is that something that you sort of just try and keep to yourself and just react with them? So
1: so I always tell people you know people ask me what are your five and the only reason I don't share it with others is because I'm trying to uh, set the example that if you do share it with others you have to have convinced yourself that these five are your absolute core this is a part of who you are because sometimes if you're not ready to completely believe that and you share it with someone they might without even realizing give an expression or a look that makes you doubt it so yeah until there is no room for doubt don't share it now i i don't have any room for doubt in my gifts and and i've come to realize i have more than five so i could certainly share those i just don't do it simply to make the point i but think yes, it's also influential have, in, on
0: other people too so if we started with all sharing our gifts we might go oh yeah actually that's what i've got too and um, yeah yeah so yeah. There's, there's definitely that level okay but um still there's a forum there so if people want to comment and yes. um, get interactive um, and talk about you know i suppose the, even the process of going through this activity the challenge of of uh, discovering your gifts um, yeah
1: yeah and you know. and i think as as the process is is exciting and then i think also again a lot of us are parents or we're in relationships you know how can we now change our own filters so that when we see someone else we don't just see what they're doing we recognize their gifts, and we give them the compliment of recognizing the gift yeah um, that that's something else I would love to hear what people think about. I mean, how did you as a parent uh, take a moment and identify a gift for your child that's mm. that's fantastic, and I can learn from that,
0: and you can learn from that
1: as parents so yeah, I think there's absolutely a place to have a discussion
0: what is the um not the implications, but the 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 relationship with what you're talking about here with the gifts to uh, no, well, not even the gifts, but the, the, the part of who I am and how I do what I do, the, the behaviors as it relates to fixed mindsets and growth mindsets.
1: So so for me, the, the, the reason why who I am became the biggest uh, and the first step of, of causing change to happen in my life is I had really assumed that I knew who I, who I was and that who I was wasn't someone I was very happy with. And, and so for me, I, I had to start with, am I really the person that I've convinced myself to be? And some of that was just my, my innate sense of doubt. I mean, I now realize that I was an anxious child. And so as I help other kids and other adults who have anxiety, you know, the, the core of anxiety is doubt. We're always second guessing. We're always what ifing. we're always doubting ourselves and, mm. and seeing, you know, perhaps the worst in ourselves. So part of it was that I, I was born I think with the temperament of being an anxious child part of it was my own experiences I thought again were proving to me that sure enough I am not good enough um, and and one of the things that I share in the book that you know took a lot of uh, decision making on my part if I was going to put this in the book but I decided I needed to was that I was sexually abused as a child
0: hmm.
1: and between being bullied and and the experience of being abused and and other things that I thought, sure enough, proved to me that I was not good enough. All of that culminated at the age of 20 to feeling so incredibly empty, so incredibly defeated. Um, and so for me, who I am was the hope that I hung my head on, just wanting to believe that there was something inside me that was good. And, and then I could begin trying to have something be better in my life. Um, so I I think they're innately tied. I think who I am has to be addressed as a way of starting out another way of seeing yourself and another way of seeing yourself ultimately is the basis of hope. Hmm. Hope is hope is the potential for something good. And in that moment where I didn't feel good enough, the hope I hung on to was maybe there is something inside of me that is that is good.
0: Yeah, well, that's certainly a growth mindset then, isn't it? Because you've got to push yourself through change. Um, that's right. And, 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 and realizing and, and, that who you are isn't fixed. That's right. And and
1: and that began at least the opportunity that perhaps there's going to be something different in my life other than what I had proven to myself. But but I don't want to minimize. I mean, it takes a lot of work to then go deconstructing the previous mm. story, mm. right? The previous story is, is, look, that's a powerful one. There, there's a chapter in the book that I call One Fish, Two Fish. And the reason I call it that is because those of us who grew up on Dr. Seuss you know, we heard that story over and over again. One fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish. Yeah. Um, and, and so the story that we've always told ourselves is, is the habit. That's the default mode. That's the, that's the without even realizing it kind of things that we say to ourselves in our heads. So working to deconstruct your story is going to take a lot of effort, but that's okay. That's okay. Because as, as you now realize, that story was perhaps never entirely true. And it's worth finding out the parts of it that maybe aren't true as you start to figure out maybe if the second story is true. So you, you not only have to go back and question what you've gone through now. So at the age of 50, how I can now look back on what I went through is different than what a six-year-old at the time thought that he was going through and understood about it. Um, so I can go back and I can re- ex- sort of re-experience it in that way. But I also have to feel it again. Um, I, I need to feel it. You, you can't defer feeling. Mm. And so when you've gone through life having been hurt and then you're about to get hurt again, you feel just enough. And then you say, no, 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 I'm not doing that again. And you put it away. As long as you defer it, the story's going to, the old story's going to stay there. It's going to be strong. So I, I talk about in the book, how do you go about deconstructing your story so that you see it differently and you feel it completely, mm. um, and that's hard work. That is that's it's a lot hard of work hard work
0: and a lot, of, yeah, and time too. Like I think the the thing where people get unstuck is because it's so hard work and because you know uh, real change in that story takes time. Mm-hmm. We often mm-hmm. just revert it, back to the story and it, just give in.
1: It does. It takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort. But my suggestion to people when they say that to me is, yeah, but what's the alternative? Because your way of thinking, feeling, or behaving has resulted in being here, right? In this tough moment of your life and isn't it worth investing the most amount of time on figuring out exactly who you are hmm. uh, to me that's an investment that is so worth making um, but yes it is hard it yeah. is hard and and I tell people you know when we when we're talking about making change in our life and this is true for any change even the most um, day-to-day sort of mundane kind of change what people tend to do uh, is they'll say um, let's say I, I need to lose 10 pounds or 20 pounds um. Oh, but you know what? I am going on that cruise next week. Maybe I won't do it yet. Yep. As soon as you say "but," you've given yourself a back door, and as soon as you give yourself a back door, you're going to take the back door. Hmm. So what I tell people is the first change you can make in your life today is instead of saying "but," say "and." Yeah. Right. I need to lose ten pounds, and I am going on that cruise, and therefore it's going to be tough. But okay, let's do this right and so yes this is tough work yes it's going to you're going to fall backwards and you know when you're tackling shame relapse if you will is par for the course hmm. and and what what i tend to see people do is when they go back into that previous pattern of thinking they criticize themselves more for falling back into the pattern and and i say don't the 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 changing of a pattern is way more important than the relapse the, the The small changes you've made in how you think about yourself the the fact that you've re- recognized you, that you have three gifts, five gifts, the fact that you're every day using a gift that deserves at least as much of your time to notice as the as the thing you did today that you thought again proved to you that you really aren't good enough.
0: yeah, and we talked about this last time because I'm one of those people that um, certainly will make progress and then i I'll, I'll find myself slipping back and I'll, I'll I'll be really self-critical and beat myself up about it. Um, rather than appreciating and and being reassuring about, Hey, look, I am still progressing. I am still making some positive movements. And yes, I've had a bit of a relapse or whatever it might be. Um, with regards to that change, there is, there is a positive momentum here because of that initial moment of insight. Um, maybe you can elaborate on that, but also that moment of insight. I mean, we talk about a moment. I mean, it's possible, isn't it, to have many moments of insights? Like Mm -hmm. I could have one moment when I was 20 that yet after 10 years it it came up again because I didn't really give it the time and energy I I needed to back then and, and life just got the better of me.
1: Absolutely. In fact, not only do I believe can you have multiple moments of insight, I'm going to tell you I have moments of insight every day. And again, a moment of insight is when you put emotion aside and you just see something differently mm. there's a there's a moment of clarity where you realize that something that you had just seen one way perhaps is not exactly that way and and so moments of insight can be big you know that that one that happened to me at the age of twenty was a was a what Oprah would call a big aha moment if you will uh but moments of insight can be very subtle. it could be a song that stuck in my head, and you know most of us kind of. scream internally when we have a song stuck in our head because it drives us crazy. But there may be something to the words that's stuck in our head. If I'd stop and I think about what am I singing to myself over and over again, there may be something there that allows me to see something differently. Um, So it can come in all kinds of ways. It can come through discussion. It can come through something you just said to me, or I might've even said to you that made me think of it differently for myself. Hmm. Um, So moments of insight can happen every single day. And, And the charge that I sort of ask people to consider is when you have let's say a big aha big moment of insight build on it you know don't let a moment of insight be wasted um, when you see some moment of clarity happen in your life build on it That that's where the active part of bringing change about in your life that's where it comes in
0: so a lot of this to me falls back to that increased sense of self awareness mm-hmm What practices do you have and maybe recommend to your patients or people listening to this show that can help them build this awareness? Because having those moments of insight that, yes, I agree, are happening all the time, if we're not very aware, if we're not very mindful, we're just going to let them slip away and we're not going to really appreciate um, the lessons or the, the, the beauty within those moments. That's
1: right. So you stole my word. You stole, you stole the word mindful that I was thinking in my head. But before I even go there, let me say this. I, I think one of the things that psychiatry taught me is that when I sit with people, let's say who have anxiety, you know, when you have anxiety, it's, it's again, a constant second guessing, a constant what if thing. Um, and, and it there's a feeling perhaps that something's about to go wrong, and that you have to do something and you have to flee or you have to avoid or you have to seek some kind of distraction. Uh, anxiety, the way that I ask people to think about it is, you know, we all have an alarm system in our bodies. And if I'm about to cross the street, my alarm goes off and it says, wait, 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 look both ways. And I look both ways, no car coming. I turn the alarm off. I cross the street. The alarm, thank goodness for the alarm. But anxiety is a false alarm. It would be like me walking in a wide open field, a wide open pasture, and my alarm goes off and it says, well, car (laughs) coming. (laughs) And and I have, you know, I have two seconds to decide, look, I can start looking around and anxious people, we can convince ourselves of things. I can start thinking, yeah, but you know what? There are cars that do come on fields. In fact, they're big tractors and they could hurt even more. And you know, I can do that. Or I could remind myself that even though it feels the exact same, this in this moment is a false alarm and challenge myself a little bit. So I I say that to you to say this, that's Hmm. Well, thank you. I say that to you to say that in a moment where we're feeling anxious, we tend to give a lot of uh, weight to the thought that we're having or the feeling that's rushing over our bodies. And, And my suggestion is you are not your thought. You are not your physical sensation. You are something much more constant than all of that. And so to me, in a moment where you want to um really feel who you really are that's where mindfulness comes in because mindfulness is really about paying attention to what is happening that has nothing to do with what you're feeling or thinking because hmm. what you're feeling or thinking is a distraction so one of the ways in which i practice mindfulness is if when i'm about to get in the shower uh, i literally say this to myself and i believe when i'm about to get in the shower i tell myself nothing in these next 10 minutes is going to change that I have any control over. So as I get into the shower, I'm not going to think about what I have to do when I get out. I'm not going to think about those things that I haven't done yet. I'm not going to think about those mistakes I've already made today. I'm just going to get in the shower and as much as I can, I'm going to just be in the shower. So as I'm in the shower, I'll actually feel the water hit the back of my my, my head, and, and I really try to feel that. Or if I, another thought starts to come in, I'll look at a, a drop on the on the shower glass, and I kind of follow it all the way down, as much as I can. And look, I may not last the whole ten minutes. If I do two minutes of simply being in the shower, then in that moment, I'm already better. Mm. So mindfulness to me is the recognition of who I am that has nothing to do with my thoughts or my feelings.
0: Yeah, yeah, well said. And I suppose yeah. that like most things, it's a practice. You, you build that level of mindfulness. And, and in those moments, like you just said in the shower or whatever part of the day, mm-hmm. um, you become, it just grows.
1: Yeah, and, and you have to practice it. And sometimes I'll say that to people. And, you know, we all live busy lives. And so people think, well, great. Now i got to find time in my day to be mindful. No, don't find time in your day to be mindful. It's something you're already doing. Just use it as an exercise to be mindful. So if you're on your way home, You might not want to have the radio on. You might not want to let your phone be next to you. You might instead just give yourself two minutes to simply listen to whatever's around you, simply to to notice something you you may not have otherwise noticed. That's mindfulness. Mm -hmm. And you're going to be in the car anyway. You're going to take a shower, I hope, anyway. and, And if nothing else, you're going to breathe anyway. So a way to practice mindfulness is you have a word that you say to yourself on your inhale And another word you say in your exhale, and then you do it again. And just that is practicing mindfulness. Yeah. And so if you're you're going to breathe anyway, let's make it be useful.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Love it. And one last question I want to ask is just that, how do you ask good questions? I mean, in your practice, you, you need to really ask questions. And I think for all of us, you know, we can ask questions of others, but we can also ask questions internally to really help us through this process of change and and the story we tell ourselves. Um, Any thoughts or questions that you might have in your your toolbox that could really help us um, be better? Questioners. Sure,
1: sure. You know, I'll say this about uh, psychiatry, but before I say that about psychiatry, I do wanna say as a child, what I do realize now, I, I mentioned to you and your listeners that I can realize now that I was an anxious child and anxiety is the disease of doubt. I've been questioning my whole life. Hmm. In fact, there were times where I would even realize and say to myself, gosh, you know Other eight-year-olds or ten-year-olds or twelve-year-olds are not thinking this much about it. How great would that be? Um, and it felt like a curse. It felt like all the questioning was really a curse But what I can now realize is there was a purpose even in that um, It did teach me to to think about uh, the whys of things and the how and the what and, and all of that and it taught me how to really give more attention to the questions that really mattered as opposed to the questions that weren't going to change anything about my life in the next two minutes so so i've been practicing questioning i think for a long time internally anyway and and to me whether you do it internally or you do it with someone that you care about sitting across the table from you you really want to ask yourself which questions are relevant which ones deserve Your attention which Mm. ones might have a yield that are worth it. Otherwise, we are constantly chattering with ourselves And and my point is don't stop questioning. Just don't spend time on the questions that don't matter. Mm.
0: Yeah, and again that comes back to mindfulness and Being aware and practice. Yeah.
1: Yeah and practice and practice. I mean We would we would many of us especially many anxious people would like to think that every thought in our head deserves a response um, and we've trained ourselves to do so. We've trained every what if to lead to another what if to lead to another what if. But if, as soon as you realize that this is a false alarm, you know, going back to that walking in a wide open pasture, hmm. any what if that comes after that is not relevant. Yeah. It's not. So so the, the awareness of the fact that in this moment anxiety just walked in the room allows me to have some control over whether I go over there and I feed it and sit it down and give it my all attention or if I realize that no other questions after this are are significant, mm. therefore I might not want to keep asking them. Hmm.
0: And I know I said that was the last question, but how do you how do you deal with things um, yourself or with your patients on a, those things that are affecting us on the subconscious level? Because I'm I'm just thinking about anxiety, and mm-hmm. I've never really considered considered myself an anxious person, but recently I've had the realization that I am quite anxious. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of my anxiety is—I I feel hidden. It's not um, on the surface. I can't see it, um, mm-hmm. but it is showing up in in certain ways in my life. Mm-hmm. How does our subconscious so, affect you know all this?
1: I think our subconscious has a big part to do with all this. I mean, for for a lot of people, their anxiety is surface level and right there, you know, where they're constantly second guessing and doubting in a way that they can't even deny. But the fact of the matter is, most of us when we feel we're either stuck or um, Feeling overwhelmed there is something to that that is purely about anxiety It is about having some doubt so I would tell you most people well, let me say this way all of us experience some anxiety Hmm. Some people have a lot of anxiety And anxiety is a part of the range of human emotion meaning there is something to feeling Doubtful that that we've all experienced but if it keeps you from moving forward, if, if it's so intense, if it happens often, if it's, if, if when you start having the what ifs, they go on and on and on, the intensity, the frequency and the duration of your anxiety might determine whether or not it's time to reach out and get some help.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So look, a um, another great conversation.
1: Thank you. I had such a great time talking to you. And I tell you, there, there's five other ways we could still go. So uh, let's hope there's more
0: Absolutely. more conversation
1: ahead at some point
0: cross fingers the uh the recording comes through fine and we have this uh <laughs> launch next week for uh listeners to uh, tune into and look i do yeah. want to encourage everyone listening uh to jump on the site um you've got two websites i believe yes. uh, one for the yes. book which is a moment of insight and you've you got a personal website as well I do. So
1: drbargave.com. But if if you do put uh, a moment of insight, it will also take you to the the page as well. So a moment of insight is the website, uh, momentofinsight.com. But also, please do join me on Facebook. I mean, I like you, Lee. I mean, to me, you do a podcast, you do a Facebook group because you want conversation. That's the whole point. This is not about preaching. I don't want to preach to anyone. I want to have conversations with people. Hmm. So on Facebook, the Facebook page is also a moment of insight, uh, or on Instagram, it's a, a Dr. B moment. Dr. Uh, but B yes, moment. I would,
0: okay. cool. please, please. I'll yeah. stick those links in the show notes, guys. Check it out. This is episode 767. Dr. Bhargava, uh, thank you once again for coming on the show. It's been a great Thank you, Liam.
1: Thank you to your listeners too.
0: Thanks, guys. Uh, check it out at TheHiddenWhy.com. Until next time, peace, passion, and purpose. See you soon. Thanks, guys, for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard. I hope you love what you're hearing. If you like this episode, guys, or any of the episodes that you're listening to here at The Hidden Why, please do me a favor by sharing it. You can share it with your families. You can share it with your loved ones. You can do that by using your favorite social media channels, using the icons on the platform that you're listening to, The Hidden Why podcast. Also, guys, if you're a fan of the show, please connect with me. Connect with me at thehiddenwhy.com. I love to hear from you. I love to converse with the people that listen to this show to find out what they enjoy, what they don't enjoy, and perhaps if they have any questions or feedback for the show as well